Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Impact is on everyone's favorite Michigan State Men's Hoops podcast. Guys, before we get way too far into this, I feel like we need some string music. We need a little, like, trumpet fanfare. We need something because we're back. Luke Sloan, Brendan Shabbat, myself, Trent Bally. All three of us are back after a month of on and off, like, sicknesses. All three of us had a different virus or infection whatever the case may be it was disgusting but we're here we're good we're back in action we're covering the Iowa game this Saturday the three of us I'm fired up gentlemen how are we doing today it feels great man to finally have the three of us back here hopefully we can be uh we can be in person soon back in the studio uh doing this that'll be fun we'll get our first in-person podcast hopefully coming up as long as the uh the order doesn't get extended but yeah it's good to see you guys and when it comes to student media men's basketball podcasts in the Big Ten Conference, I think we lead the league in, like, days spent on the injured list. Undoubtedly. This, this podcast has been ravaged, but I actually just thought of this when I went and got more water. This feels like when you go back to your hometown and, like, you see, like, your high school buddies, like, that you haven't seen, like, in forever, and you're, like, so happy to see them, and you go to the local establishment, and you're reunited – got that energy it's unbelievable that our local establishment will be the breslin on saturday that's going to be our form of that yeah it, it, it truly is a blessing to be here with you guys and it's a celebration i, I may or may not be having a little buzz of a little celebratory drink <laughs> here nor there i don't want to get too into that podcast here's the thing guys we got a lot to talk about per usual as we always do on the impact is on we're going to start with the spartans picking up a 66 to 56 win versus Nebraska on Super Bowl Eve, a game the Spartans were expected to win. They did take care of business, but uh, lots to talk about nonetheless. Josh Langford led the Spartans with 18 points in that game. Aaron Henry with a nice 16, six assists and five boards, stuff in the stat sheet per usual. But the big story in this one was Joey Hauser going scoreless, fouling out in the second half. Uh, But yes, the Spartans did get their win. So Sloan, I'll kick it to you first. What were your main takeaways from the win over Nebraska? Yeah, it was a really nice game from Langford. The game before this Nebraska win against Iowa, he really hunt his shot a little bit more aggressively than he has been this season. I think that bled over into that Nebraska game. He was second on the team in field goals attempted to Aaron Henry. Both of them had really good games. We'll get into this a little bit more when we go over the Penn State game, but got to give credit where credit's due for Langford, too. He would eventually go on in the next game to get 1,000 career points the fourth member of that 2000 and I believe 17 recruiting class that all had a thousand points, Nick Ward, Cassius Winston, uh, Joshua Langford. And then I'm missing one player miles. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was miles. So 2016, I believe, right. Just a prolific recruiting class. I mean, that could go down as one of Izzo's best recruiting classes maybe ever, but yeah, I definitely agree Trent that the big story was Joey Hauser more on him when we talk about Penn state, but It was surprising, too, because I think he only had 12 points against Iowa, but he looked a lot more confident, struggled a little bit defensively in that game. But I thought after taking a positive step against Iowa, he was going to take another positive step against Nebraska, but it just didn't happen. Yeah, and the thing with me about Hauser is it just feels like he's almost there, and like one of these nights he's going to have a – a random game where he goes off. I mean, we've seen what he can do. He's had high scoring games. He averaged a double double through like the first 10 or 12 games this season. And it's, it's really a bummer to see him struggle like this because he was an exciting player preseason. 
that I think a lot of people, us included, us three, that were excited to see what he can do and what Tom Izzo would do with him, having a stretch four, which he really hasn't had before. But Hauser's been underwhelming in his ability to defend, his ability to shoot. And it's to me, it's not that he just doesn't have the skills. It's more of a mindset thing. And I think that's a thing that's plagued this team the past two seasons. I think Aaron Henry struggled with it last year. I think Rocket Watts is struggling with it this year. Marcus Bingham too. Gabe Brown. A lot of these guys I feel like are really, really talented and at any given moment can go out there and just light it up. But sometimes they get a little bit in their own way. And hopefully Hauser can get out of his own way and just go out there and play basketball like he knows pretty soon because they're going to need him moving forward through these next six games. Yeah, look, Joey Hauser was a guy who, you know, going back to last season when you found out he was transferring from Marquette and it was kind of hanging in the balance his eligibility for a second there, actually, we thought he might be able to play last season. And man, is that a dream scenario? I know the past is the past, but Cassius Winston with, you know, Tillman and Joey Hauser as your big three and then Aaron Henry and Rocket Watts and like the depth you would have there. Man, that would have been awesome to see. But, you know, obviously not so. And then coming into this year, the expectations were very high for him as kind of that almost go-to bucket getter. Obviously, you still have Henry, and I think everyone kind of knew he'd be the MVP of this team. But, you know, he kind of quarterbacks the defense, and he has some more responsibility there. So, obviously, just in a big picture, you, you really need Joey Hauser to take that step. And, Brendan, you did a great job elaborating on that. If the Spartans are going to make the tournament, which we'll talk about, uh, coming up here, but if, if if they're going to make that step and, and and take that you know next growth uh, approach, he's going to really have to step up and be and be a you know a, a big time scoring option bucket getter for the Spartans. And he really came back and responded against Penn State off the bench. And we'll talk about that in a little bit here. But let's go to someone else in the uh, front court who has been impressive as of late. Marcus Bingham got a start against Nebraska in this one. Followed it up with a nice performance against Penn State. Uh, do you think him in the starting lineup is the right move with Kithier and Hauser now coming off the bench? I think so far it's proven to be the right move uh, and the right button that Izzo's pressed. You know, he really, I can't remember what specific game it was after. It might've been Minnesota earlier in the season before the COVID pause, but Tom Izzo really challenged Marcus Bingham publicly and in front of the media, which is something that he doesn't do super often with players really challenging them externally and not just internally in the locker room he said you know Marcus needs to be in love with basketball a little bit more put in a little bit more work and it really seems like Izzo ever since Izzo has went out and gone public with his battle and you know getting Marcus Bingham Jr. back to where he needs to be ever since that moment has happened Bingham has really stepped up his level of play his minutes have kind of increased as time has gone along he started out by playing limited minutes very limited minutes usually under 10 minutes a game and then, you know, having some nice contributions, but not getting a ton of minutes, they've eventually started building up. And I think the main reason that Marcus Bingham is in this starting lineup right now is because is because what he brings on defense. I mean, he has, you know, the best shot blocker on this basketball team has been great one-on-one -on -one in the post and down low on the block. And he really has brought a shot blocking and rim protecting presence that I don't think this team has really had all season long. So more than just offense, you know, people, you know, he's, he's kind of a face up guy, shot a lot of jumpers before he came to Michigan State. But I think, you know, inserting him in the starting lineup really improves Michigan State's defensive presence. Yes, yeah, Sloan, you brought up Izzo challenging Bingham, you know, publicly and in the media. And in a season that I think has been one of Izzo's uh, 
lesser seasons as far as decision-making goes, whether that's on the court or off the court, I think that was a really good decision. And I think it's a two-way street as far as Bingham loving the game of basketball and putting the effort out there and Izzo trusting him to go out there and make plays and giving him that opportunity. And I think they both have done really well on that two-way street since uh, Izzo did challenge Bingham like that. And, And I've been a pretty big fan of Bingham, you know, ever since he got here. And I've been saying it, you know, this whole year that I'd like to see him get more minutes. And every time he's out there, he's always made a, his presence felt defensively, especially he's not the best offensive player on the floor at any time. And he's been working on his offensive game, but I think you can't discredit what he does defensively. I even bargained to say that he's their best post defender not in the aspect of position and size and physicality, but because of how many shots he affects, he's great and help defense situations. The amount of times he's gotten in front of a guard who's beat their defender and, and, and blocked the shot or forced a, a bad shot is, is really amazing. And he's got really good timing, you know, his wingspan, obviously for how tall he is and long he is allows for him to be that, but you know, he's going out there and he, he's making three or four blocks a game. It seems like and it, and it, they usually, uh, are really beneficial to Michigan State. And I, I think it's really good for them that he's been uh, playing as well as he has of late, but he needs to do more offensively. In the Big Ten, having a good front court that can do something on both ends of the floor is key. And with Joey Hauser's struggles that we just mentioned, somebody else has to step up in a bigger role than just six points a game and four rebounds and something like that. I think Bingham needs – he needs a coming out party. He needs a 12 – 12 and eight, 12 and 10, 15 and 10 type of game to go out there and prove to himself and to everybody else watching what he can do. You know, Brendan, and I think overall on Marcus Bingham Jr., you know, over the individual skills that he brings both on offense and on defenses, he just has his confidence back. Ever since he was challenged by Izzo, he's playing like a different guy. And it really seems like he's more engaged now than ever as a Spartan. And then, you know, talking, you know, bringing it back to Trent's point about, you know, is this the right button to press having Marcus Bingham in the starting lineup? Uh, You know, Brendan, I mentioned on the last podcast when you and Eric and I were on here that the ideal role for Thomas Kithier in my eyes is coming off the bench, doing those little things, soaking up like 15 to 17 minutes per game and not having the defensive pressure of being in that starting five. And he's really thrived since Marcus Bingham Jr. has moved into that starting role and Kithier has gotten 10, 15, 20 minutes off the bench. So I think that move has really uh, proved beneficial for both of those players. Yeah, you know, when you look at Marcus Bingham's career at Michigan State as a whole, the offense really hasn't been there. And that's kind of been disappointing for the Spartan faithful because that was really his calling card coming in. You know, he wasn't really supposed to be a defensive girl. The problem is you look at his, his size and his frame, and he has absolutely transformed himself into a pretty damn good uh, post defender and Brennan, I'd agree with you. I think he's the best option the Spartans have on this team because you know how many times have we talked at nauseum this season about you know the Luca Garzas of this conference and the the Charles Dickinsons. You're gonna have to like throw a big body at those guys. And quite frankly, while Malik Hall and and, and Thomas Kithier might be better position wise, you know, in terms of their defending and, and and their footwork, they're just giving up too much height. And Marcus Bingham is a great option there. And I think going forward. You know, we're going to talk about the Iowa game here at the end of the podcast. I think that's another game where you're going to have to throw Marcus Bingham at Garza and just for his defensive ability alone. And then, you know, he's able to alter shots. Uh, it's not always just blocking shots. It's changing them. Uh, he's a good free throw shooter. He's always available under the hoop, right place, right time. Little things like that. 
And I really think, yes, I agree with you guys. I concur. Marcus Bingham has to stay in the starting lineup. But uh, one more note on this Nebraska game, Gabe Brown was back. He had six points, seven rebounds in 18 minutes he played. Um, and I just want to ask you guys, Brennan, I'll go to you first on this one. Is he actually a bigger piece that people realize? I think so. I think Gabe Brown's kind of a, a silent assassin in the fact that you don't really recognize that he's out there and you don't really notice it all a lot. But you look at the box score after, and like you just mentioned, six points, eight rebounds, you know, in, in, in a couple minutes, and he's really a big factor. And to me, the biggest and most intriguing thing that Gabe Brown brings anytime he steps onto the floor is that he's always a danger to make a shot. And whether Michigan State's on a run and they want to continue that, Brown's, in my opinion, one of the go-to guys. If they're in a drought and they need somebody to get a bucket, I think you're always looking for Gabe Brown on that right wing, that right corner there to knock down a three. And that's that's really helpful. And it's a strange role for a player to have. And I think he, he'll probably step into a larger scoring role next year and he's going to have to. But yeah, I've always been a Gabe Brown fan ever ever since last year, and and when he showed the signs of potential last year, what he can do, and I think he's shown a lot more this year. I think you put it perfectly, Brendan. It seems like in every big win in a close game for Michigan State this season, down the stretch of that game, Gabe Brown makes one or two really big three pointers, usually in the corner. But his ceiling is really high. You know, I've seen some buzz on Twitter. You know, he hasn't been fantastic the last couple games, but he's really just getting his feet back underneath him. I mean, he kept tested positive for COVID-19 kind of at the end of the Spartans pause. So in terms of him being behind his teammates, he's definitely behind the readjustment curve right now. So he'll be back probably starting as soon as Iowa soaking up more minutes, but his ceiling is high with his size, with his wingspan and the way he defends. If those three-pointers go in, he's got a legitimate NBA future because there'll be a spot off someone's bench for a guy that can switch, guard multiple positions, and nail threes. Yeah, nothing but love from Gabe Brown, uh, from, from all three of us. Nothing but love for Gabe Brown, I should say. He's always in the in the Breslin, too, after you know every single game. He's the first one out there shooting baskets, trying to get better. Uh, and he's just another guy uh, to add to this depth of this team that we talk about that actually can be a little bit of a curse sometimes, but – uh, the Spartans picked up another win against Penn State, a two-point victory on Tuesday night. Luke and I were there to cover the game. Uh, the Spartans got up double digits in the first half, and this one led by eight at halftime, but they found themselves down four with 316 to play in the second half. How do they respond? They held Penn State scoreless the rest of the way. They went on a 6-0 run to close the game and win 60-58. to Miles Dredd missing two three-pointers in the final 11 seconds that would have taken the lead for the Nittany Lions. Joey Hauser, we're going to come back to him, came off the bench in this one. Um, Malik Hall started. This was a move that Joey Hauser, actually, it was his idea. He went to Tom Mizzo after that Nebraska game in which he fouled out and was held scoreless. He said, Tom, or, or, you know, coach, Malik's been playing great. I haven't been playing great. And Tom Mizzo had nothing but praise for that move uh, from Joey Hauser, the maturity that it takes. Uh, and, and Hauser actually stepped up big in his bench role. He had a nine-point first half, finished with 11 in the game, four for eight from the field. Aaron Henry led your Spartans in scoring with 20 points. He added three assists, four rebounds, and a block. Marcus Bingham and Malik Hall combined for 16 points, 14 rebounds, and a pair of blocks as you're starting front court. And Joshua Langford, another big story of the night. Uh, Luke, you already mentioned it, but just five points on the night, but he did reach the 1,000-point plateau, making the class of 2016 four for four. Miles Bridges, Nick Ward, Cassius Winston, Joshua Langford, all with 1,000 points 
for their careers. So, Luke, I'll go to you first on this one once again. What were your main takeaways from the two-point thrilling victory over Penn State? You know, you, I, and Eric Bach were at that game, and the back and forth between us was pretty comical. I mean, the three of us just kept going up and down the row, up on uh, Press Row at the Breslin Center, saying, this is the Purdue game. This is the Purdue game. This is that Purdue game where they lost 55-54 in the final moments after that Travion Williams basket. It was horrible. You could not sit still. You couldn't breathe. You couldn't go to the bathroom. Anxiety was just flying through the arena. It was almost a carbon copy of that game. Michigan State holds a pretty comfortable lead at halftime, has a good offensive first half, and then the second half comes out. All of a sudden, those Penn State shots start going in after a bad shooting first half. Purdue shots started going in after a bad shooting first half before the COVID pause on January 8th. And then all of a sudden Michigan state gets a little bit tighter. Their shots might not go down. It drags to the defensive end of the floor. And then all of a sudden, you know, they, they blow a lead, which we're going to talk about a little bit more, but the main takeaway for this one for me is unlike that Purdue game, unlike the Iowa game where they lost a close game, they finished a basketball game in big 10 play for pretty much the first time this season The Rutgers game was a blowout in Nebraska. They led by a pretty good margin the entire way in both those games, I'd say. But this was the first time they were tasked with finishing a really close and hotly contested game, and they did. They made free throws down the stretch. They got baskets when they needed to. Rocket Watts had a really key tip in with a couple minutes left to give Michigan State a basket that tied the game. Great stops defensively down the stretch. And just listening to the players and Tom Izzo after the game, it felt like there was a major weight lifted off their shoulders and the fact that they finished one of these close games. So hopefully for the team, they'll try to take this into Iowa and kind of use it as a springboard into, all right, we got that confidence now. We finished a game in Big Ten play. We can do this. We can hang with people because every game is going to be important down the stretch. Yeah, my big takeaways from this game is that, I don't know, a win's a win. Me, Sloan, and Bach all basically predicted on last week's podcast that Michigan State was going to go one and one in this two-game stretch against Nebraska and Penn State, and we were all wrong. But 10 points against Nebraska, two points against Penn State, the the Big Ten has always been basically two tiers. There's the 10 teams that are great and, you know, elite eight or better contenders, and then there's the bottom four that are really – scrapping to get into the tournament or just trying to make the best out of a losing season. And right now it just feels like Michigan state is in that lower tier on the border of the first tier, you know, that they just, they've only played well against some of the lower teams in the big 10. Obviously they had a good night against Iowa about a week ago when they were at Iowa, but they just haven't instilled confidence in me yet. And I think, You know, if this team wants to make the tournament, 10 and 7 right now, not very good so far through this season. But, you know, they've got seven games left. And if you can finish at 15 and 9 or better, I think, and and make a run in the Big Ten tournament, I think they'll make an argument and make a case for a bid, an at-large bid in in March. But, I don't know, they just – they they seem to have the same struggles every game. And there hasn't been a game that really – stands out and says, okay, build off of this and move forward because certain players have, have come in and done decent things. And, you know, Bingham gets six and eight and Malik Hall gets 10 and five in his 
start and stuff like that. And Joey Hauser finally comes off the bench and scores 11. But none of these seem like launch pads to a game plan that's going to beat a team like Iowa, you know? So we're really going to see what this team is made of come Saturday when Iowa comes into the Breslin. I mean, it's a, it's a home game. It's a must-win game for Michigan State. I think if they get to an eighth loss this season, you know, that is just going to lead to a, to a downturn. They still got to play Ohio State. They still got to play Illinois. They got to play Michigan twice, and Indiana's on the schedule too. So we'll see if, 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 they, can, if they can use these last two games, see what they found right, and, and use it for a win against Iowa. But I'm just not, not totally convinced yet that that's something that they're going to do. On the surface level, you're exactly right. A win is a win is a win is a win because, look, yes, the Spartans are 10-7 and now. If they drop that one against Penn State, that's another soul crusher. You go to 9-8, and and there's a very, very, very good chance you end up at 500 come the end of the weekend as they got Iowa coming in Saturday. More on that game later, of course. But, look, uh, Sloan, I I can't agree with you more in terms of this was the first game the Spartans actually were – it was a close game down the stretch, and they pulled it out. You think of Wisconsin on Christmas, you know, they kind of went dry down the stretch. Uh, The Iowa game last week, yes, they hung in there. They hung tight. They had a shot to tie it. Rocket Watts at the end didn't go down. Uh, You know, that Northwestern game, even, you know, the very first conference game of the season, they made a little run there to get back into respectable striking distance and then disappeared again, the Purdue game. You know, all these games come to mind. uh, and, 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 you know, against Penn State on Tuesday was the first time that the Spartans actually did really get a hold on the late game mentality, the late game situation, going on a 6-0 run, holding, per, not Purdue, excuse me, Penn State scoreless in the final three and a half minutes. That to me is more of the Spartan brand of basketball that we're used to seeing. And, you know, I don't know if it's going to be a launch pad, Brendan, to use that analogy, but, you know, I, I want to go back to you because you just kind of voiced some of your concerns. I'm going to ask you to quantify it, put a number on it. On a scale of one to 10, how concerning are, you know, blowing these big leads for this team? For me, it's it's eight or higher. It's it's red zone danger territory because they've done it all year. You know, they finally the Penn State game, as you guys just mentioned, is finally the game that they pulled it out. But, you know, a team like Nebraska, you're up by eight in the final few minutes. you got to win by more than 10. And it happened early in the season against Duke and Notre Dame and all these other teams. It's they this is the first time they've done it. And they cut it as close as you possibly can. It came down to a missed free throw and a last second shot from Penn State, you know, but it's I think they're in the danger zone as far as not being able to close out these games that in Big Ten play you absolutely have to. Because to me, I think of it as disregard everything else. Go back to the final six seconds of the Penn State game and make it Iowa. Right. Michigan State's played great. Somehow they're up to six seconds chance to win the game. If you put Iowa on that floor instead of Penn State, and if, if they're in a situation like that on Saturday and they play like they did, I, I, I don't – I have much less confidence they pull out that win than they did against the Nittany Lions. Honestly, if I had to quantify a number of 1 through 10, I wouldn't keep it to 1 through 10. I'd, I'd put it up to an 11 at this team blowing leads. I mean, I try not to be someone who is an alarmist with my takes – and I gave this team, you know, credit for, for finishing a game for really the first time in Big Ten play. But this Michigan State team, it's almost like a Jekyll and Hyde situation. It's two different Michigan State teams that both appear in the same game. Like, for example, in this Penn State game, the first Michigan State that appeared, we'll, we'll say this team is the Jekyll. They're making shots. Their half-court offense is crisp. They're getting some easy layups. 
and that reflects right onto the other end of the floor defensively. They just seem like they're a little bit more locked in, a little bit more energy on defense. But then the high part of this equation, those shots don't go in on offense. The ball gets stuck a little bit in the half court. They had some problems yesterday getting into their set. They wouldn't actually get into their set and make the second pass until there was 16 or 17 uh, seconds left on the shot clock. And when the half-court offense got a little bit sloppy, it reflected on the defensive end of the floor. The really good elite teams can maintain that level of good defense no matter if the shots are going in or if they're not going in. And unfortunately, this team this year has has let either side of the floor, the play on either side of the floor, affect the play on the other side of the floor. You know, that might not be – you know, that might be because they don't necessarily have an alpha dog out there this year, but it just seems like until they get that addressed and we see more consistency that I'm still very concerned about this team holding leads. Sloan, golf season is, is right around the corner. The Masters is in about two months, and I think you bring up a great point. This Michigan State team looks like me out there on the links. Front nine, nice and good. We're doing great. Maybe – 42 to, to 38 right around there back nine absolute blow up 54 56 and higher you know Ooh. stuff like that it's not good it's not a fun way to it's not a fun way to play competitive sports is there any extracurricular factor involved there there might be at the turn <laughs> but you know we're gonna save hey, that for for another day if 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 i am if my golf game is a big 10 basketball team it's nebraska dude winless like <laughs> every now and again, every now and again, I'll hit a fantastic shot, but I, I am pretty much as inconsistent as they come in terms of golf. So maybe in a way I'm kind of like Michigan state this year, but I'm just out there for the fun, enjoying the weather, enjoying my people. We don't need to get into my golf game too much. This isn't a golf podcast, yeah, but that's, that's all right. Are you a golf guy, Trent? I've never talked to you about I'm, that. I was going to say my golf game is Florida Gulf Coast football. It's non-existent. I don't, I haven't golfed since fourth grade. So that that's, that's that. I don't have the patience for it. I'm actually a really patient guy, but I just don't have the patience for golf or whatever reason. I don't what about know. nine holes, Indian Hills. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I just have bad memories as a kid. Lugging my clubs all over the course, doing stuff that I don't really enjoy. I don't know. That's what they got. That's what they got caddies for. That's what I did for eight years from ages 12 to 20, you know, carry other people's bags for you. Just hire somebody. You'll be fine. Hire someone to do it. You can, you can do some good tactics too. Like if you have a foursome and you're playing like nine, like this fall, this summer at Indian Hills, if we had like four people, you know, friend of the podcast, Henry Menegos golfed once a friend of the podcast, Joe Dandron, friend of the podcast, Andrew Herner, friend of the podcast, Ian Gilmore, we'd get a little foursome together any time of day. We'd split off into two teams and put a little bit of money on a scramble. It gives you good incentive to play a little bit better if you put, you know, like a meal out or, or some money, uh, like, on your performance. I usually got paired up with Henry. Um, he carried the team, to say I'm the sure least. Hank is a stud. Oh, he's a beast. He's out here golfing in like the, like in December, he put on a Snapchat story like, yeah, I'm golfing. Like he's up there at some course, like near where he lives over in block 36. Hate to expose him like that in the podcast, but he golfs all year long. It's ridiculous. Well, shout out to Hank. This wouldn't be a podcast if he didn't give a little love to Hank, but yeah, I I, I don't know. I'm not, not really a golf guy, but I'm glad we were able to use some analogies there and kind of, kind of flip this on its head. But anyways, to bring things back to basketball, just for a quick second, you know, I, one to 10 for me, how concerned am I with this team blowing leads An optimistic seven. And the only reason I say that is because 
I, I, you know, this is uncharacteristic of Tom Izzo teams, but I know this team is different than in the past. However, I just sum up the mentality that if you get that monkey off your back, and really if you look at the two biggest leads this team has blown, which was Purdue and Penn State, we're talking about a Malik Hall inbound pass away from probably clinching that one and a Josh Langford missed free throw or two at the end of the Penn State game, which is uncharacteristic of him. It's really, it comes down to those little, little things. And I know that's what wins or loses you games in March and beyond, but I'm just saying, you know, I'm going to give it an optimistic seven out of 10 uh, in terms of my, which I know seven out of 10 is not great by any stretch of the means. I'm still concerned, but I'm just saying I'm a little less concerned than you guys are. But time will tell. They could make me look like an absolute idiot against Iowa. Hey, I mean, this, the, you know, you know, they could make you look, they could make that take look bad for you, but they could also make that take look really good for you. I mean, watching the way that game went down the stretch yesterday, this could be like a January, February Izzo kind of situation. I mean, they pulled that game out yesterday. You know, he was subbing in Bingham and Hauser for each other, a little offense for defense, started Malik Hall. I was pretty impressed with the coaching job of Izzo in the game yesterday. You know, you can make some arguments about his rotations for this season overall, but the buttons he pressed yesterday won him the game down the stretch. So, hey, as the saying goes, you can never count him out in March. Yeah, that's very fair. Very fair. And I guess another question I kind of want to pose to you guys about this team and the depth thereof, um, I want to talk about the Hauser move to the bench because that was a big, big, big storyline. And, again, Tom Bizzo was – Nothing but, you know, complimentary of the way that Joey Hauser came to him and said, hey, sit me down. And he literally named Malik Hall and said, put him in the starting lineup. So I want to ask you guys, just in terms of, of pairs here, is the Bingham Hall front court a sustainable move and having Kithier and Hauser off the bench? Do you think that is sustainable? And do you think that's the move we're going to see for the rest of the season? Brendan, we'll go to you first. I think Malik Hall combined with anybody is a great, is a great combination of, of two people in that front court. I've, I've said it ad nauseum, as you said earlier, Trent, that Malik Hall's a, a great player on this team. And I love what he does for this team. And he's like the worm out there and stuff, but I really am a big fan of the Malik Hall, Marcus Bingham front court. And the fact that it's probably their best defensive front court. And if you can start off a game well defensively and jump out to a lead, you know, we just mentioned that this team gives up leads, but it's a lot easier to give up a lead and still win a game than it is to come back from being down far. So if you can have those two out there making good defensive plays, Aaron Henry and Josh Langford and Rocket Watts do their thing on offense, you know, Bingham will get a point in there. Malik Hall will grab an offensive rebound for a kickout three and stuff like that. I think it's a really good, it's a really good comparison or a really good pairing. And then you can bring Hauser off the bench and you can, in my opinion, probably put Hauser in for either of those guys, Bingham or Malik Hall. And I really, I think Malik Hall, he's, he's like a Swiss army knife. You know, you can, you can pair a bunch of different things with him and you can put anybody in there and he can play big and he can play small. And so I think that's, I'm amazed at Hauser's uh, self-awareness and team awareness to not only go to Izzo and say, Hey, I think I need to take a step back here and give myself a smaller role but I want him. I want Malik Hall. And that just, I think that's a testament to not only what a leader Hauser is, but what a leader Malik Hall is and how hard of a worker he is. Hauser wouldn't say that if Malik Hall wasn't doing in practice more than what he does in the games. And I'm sure he is. And so that's a testament to both of them. And that, But that's, I'm really impressed by the maturity that shows from Joey Hauser to go out there and do that. 
Yeah, this has been an unbelievable season for this team. I mean, between the losses, the COVID pause, the weird records that are coming up about, you know, Tom Izzo teams never have this record at this point in the season. But the whole way the locker room and the team has stayed together, and I think that this move by Joey Hauser to come up to Izzo and say, you know, hey, put me on the bench for the team, you know, put Malik in there. He can be that energizer bunny that I've called him before. I think that just shows that this locker room is still in a really healthy state and they're really, they're a tight knit group. And I think that this move proves that all three of us, you know, earlier in the podcast gave pretty ringing endorsements, I think about keeping Marcus Bingham jr. In the starting lineup. So I think for now, the three of us can definitely pencil him in there moving forward. And then when it comes to Malik Hall, you know, just a a defensive tone setter, kind of like Brendan said, He was part of a number of big time momentum plays, both on offense or both on defense and then on offense in the post in that Penn State game and just brings an edge and a grit. I mean, he only stands at six foot eight tall. And, you know, I say, you know, he's six foot eight, but I sit here at five foot 11. So I'm not I'm not trying to scoff at six foot eight, but he is a tough player and he's going to, you know, put it put his all out there at all times. And looking at the minutes breakdown too, Malik Hall got 20 minutes. Marcus Bingham Jr. got 18 minutes. Kithier had eight minutes, which is a little bit low for him. But Hauser still played 21 minutes. I think that if those four guys are your main group of forwards with a little bit of Julius Marble sprinkled in there to kind of give you a little bit more energy off the bench, Hall and Bingham starting, Marble, Kithier, and Hauser off the bench, and especially, too, bringing in Hauser off the bench, bringing in Rocket Watts off the bench. These are starting caliber players as part of that bench unit, kind of co-six men for the Spartan team. I think those two can really bring some offense off the bench for them too. So this, you know, since this move has been made, they played Iowa tight, they beat Nebraska and they beat Penn state. So they're going to keep rolling with it. We'll see. We'll see if it's successful. Yeah. You know, bringing Joey Hauser off the bench and, and, and already having rocket Watts there in that role. I think that is what a, what a bolstering boost for the bench. I mean, seriously, if you really think about, you know, having Josh Langford in there in the starting lineup, you know, he's not going to make mistakes. He's not going to kill you. Then you bring in rocket. He kind of gives you that whole new dimension there. And, and I, that, I want to talk about rocket Watts for a second guys, because something that kind of flew under the radar in the win over Penn state was, Foster Lawyer had a little bit of a shoulder issue in the second half, and he came out, I believe it was with eight minutes left, and didn't end up going back in. Rocket Watts played the point uh, pretty much down the stretch for the entire rest of the game. Um, and, and I just want to ask you guys, you know, we've, we've talked about Rocket and his struggles this season, but um, Luke, is that a move that you're comfortable with? Are you comfortable with Rocket Watts playing the point in those short spurts and closing games at the one? I think I definitely am. And I think yesterday's game, like you said, Trent is a really good starting point for what he can do down the stretch. He's this team's best defensive guard, especially on the basketball. So having him in the game down the stretch to guard the opposing team's ball handler, or a couple different ball handlers on the opposing team is going to be a plus for Michigan state on the offensive end. He had a really good active play when he went to the basket and tipped the ball in with under two minutes remaining in the game to get Michigan state a really clutch bucket if he moves off the ball well, like he did in this Penn State game, you know, he's valuable down the stretch on offense. And then handling the ball as well. He handled the ball a little bit down the stretch against Penn State, but you saw Aaron Henry have some ball handling duties down the stretch too. I think if you kind of have a mix of both those players, you know, Aaron Henry had a couple really good passes down the stretch, I thought. So if you mix it up 
and not put a ton of pressure on Watts to handle the ball on every possession down the stretch, mix it up between those two players, I think it can be very effective. You know, Trent, I got to say that I am not a fan of Watts being in there in late game situations. I, I don't like it because to me, if a quarter of the way through the season, we're 25% through, Izzo comes out and says, listen, this isn't working. This was a bad decision by me, by Rocket, by everybody involved to put him at the point. You can't keep throwing him in there when you lose a point guard. You can't, you have to put someone like Hogard in there and substitute. I know you want Langford in there late too, and Langford's been playing really great, but that's that's the the decisions as a coach that you have to make the hard decisions. And you know, they went from a lead to to trailing in the time that Rocket was in there. And I I it just doesn't make sense to me how you can definitively say that one of the main problems of this season, especially with the offense, was having Rocket Watts at the point, and then he's still out there playing the point guard. I get a possession or two here. Someone needs a quick breather and stuff like that. But when we're talking crunch time, when we are talking winning time, you have to have your best five out there that as a sum are the best. You know, Rocket Watts is a better basketball player than A.J. Hogard, and there's no doubt about that. But Hogard might work better with guys like Langford and Henry as far as facilitating and getting out of their way and – being able to handle the ball under pressure and stuff like that. So I just, it just doesn't make sense to me how you can, how you can say that, that Watts at the point guard doesn't work and then have him out there when it means the absolute most. I get early first half, give him a couple reps, make him get comfortable, something like that. But when it comes to winning time, you've got to put your best out there. Yeah, that's very fair. And that's something that quite honestly, I don't really think we're going to see a whole lot of going forward. I think it was kind of an emergency situation with Foster going out. Um, but you know, Brennan, I agree with you really in the end, I think you got to put your best unit out there, not necessarily your best five, because if you're going to go your best five, that is racket Watts, Langford, Henry Hauser, and then either Hall or Bingham pick your poison at the five. Um, to me, that's the, that's the best five, but it, it, your closing lineup, you know, as to, especially in these games, you're down four with three minutes left, you know, you need your best unit out there. And that's kind of why I lean more towards Brendan's side of things, but um, you know, guys, uh, just before we put wraps on this Nebraska game and talk about the Iowa game, uh, congratulations to Josh Langford on behalf of the Impact His Own podcast. Uh, nothing but great things to say about him. Obviously, everyone knows it's well documented his career, all the struggles he's had injury wise and everything. Wasn't sure if he was going to come back and play this season, but he did. And we're all glad. I speak for the rest of Spartan Nation when I say congratulations, Josh. We are happy for you and we look forward to you to continue getting buckets in the green and white. But, guys, now let's talk about a big, big, big matchup here for the Spartans on Saturday, potentially an opportunity for the Spartans to catapult themselves back into the NCAA tournament discussion uh, and officially kind of get off the bubble as of now. Um, The Spartans welcome in the number 15 Iowa Hawkeyes to East Lansing at 2.30 p.m. on Saturday. All three of us, Brennan Shabbat, Luke Sloan, Trump Valley, we will be in coverage in the game. this game has potential to be the Spartan signature win of the season. You know, it would be a huge resume booster for that NCAA tournament uh, case. Um, the last game against Iowa in Michigan State was a great one. The Spartans hung in there, shot the three ball well early. I believe they started seven for seven. Um, and they had a shot to tie when the final seconds didn't go down. Um, but I, I guess, guys, before we get into our predictions, there's a few storylines to watch. And, Brennan, I'll go to you first on this one. Do you think having Gabe Brown back, 
and the new starting five, the two big adjustments that we've seen over the last two games since that Iowa game, do you think that that is going to be any difference in this one? Yeah, as cliche as it sounds, I think this game is going to go one of two ways compared to the last game. I think it's going to be very similar. And this new look Michigan State team with maybe a little bit more firepower and a little bit rejuvenated offense with Bingham and Hall getting more minutes and Brown being back in there, they can make it close and maybe even pull out a win somehow. Or it's going to be catastrophic and, you know, it's it's not going to work and they're not going to have had enough time with this new new set of, of lineups to be prepared for a team like Iowa. But Iowa is is a, a fringe team for me right now in the, the final four elite eight area because obviously their offensive firepower is almost unmatched in college basketball. I think they've probably got the third best offense, in my opinion, in college basketball. But their defense is really lackluster, and that's been a trend in Iowa City for basketball for years now. And if, if Michigan State with a rejuvenated offense can go out there and make some things happen, exploit some of the factors that Iowa lacks in, they, they might get lucky and might, and might do a few things right that lead to a win. But I think I'm more optimistic about this game now going into it with, with the new look Michigan State team that we have, the semi-new look. Uh, more optimistic now for this game than I was for the game at Iowa, definitely. Trent, I think it's perfect that you put the question as, will having Gabe Brown back be a difference in this game upcoming on Saturday? We're recording this podcast on a Wednesday and in anticipation of the game, and I'm really anticipating this game. Not only are the boys going to be back covering this one, but it is a huge, huge game for this Spartan team. I cannot stress that enough. But back to the point on Brown, when Michigan State's offense in Iowa City really went cold down the stretch, if they had Gabe Brown in that game, that could have been an opportunity for him to step off the bench and make a, a key shot. Tom Izzo could set up some plays to get him open off some screens, run him off some screens, run him off some pin down action, and get him some open looks that he'd most likely nail. So having him, having that extra offensive weapon down the stretch for a presumably close game could be the difference between a win and a loss. And hey, maybe they win that game in Iowa State if they make a couple more shots down the stretch. Gabe Brown's the man to do that. Yeah, and you know what? Just to elaborate on that real quick, that three-pointer that Rocket Watts took that looked like a little bit of a broken play there at the end of the game to tie, that absolutely could have been a telegraph play in the corner to Gabe Brown had he been there. So that just absolutely, that's a great point, Sloan. And um, to kind of piggyback off of that, guys, Luca Garza, elephant in the room, obviously, one of the greatest players in the country right now. He gets a very favorable whistle, as we saw in the last game against the Spartans and really all season long. But Nonetheless, guys, what should the game plan be to contain this dude? He had 27 and 12 in the last game against the Spartans. What should be the game plan going forward? I think I have an idea of where you guys are going to go with this, but Brennan, I'll go to you first. I think it's going to be similar, but not to the same extent of the game plan that I've mentioned multiple times on this podcast is to throw multiple bigs at him and keep a rotation going of uh, healthy guys with lungs underneath them and stuff. But I was really impressed with Thomas Kithier in the last game against Luca Garza and against Iowa. And I think, honestly, it's going to be less of the game plan that's going to work and more of the mindset. And, you know, to me, that's because of – you take a look at last year, the big game, Iowa versus Michigan State here in East Lansing. 
on paper and probably on the floor too, Luca Garza is a better basketball player than Xavier Tillman. Um, not a better defender, but just a better player overall. And I think a lot of people would take Garza first over Tillman in whatever kind of fantasy draft. But Tillman had – he was a different animal that night, and he had the mindset of I'm not going to let you beat me. It's just not going to happen. No way, no how. And I think Michigan State needs that, but they – are going to need it from not only Thomas Kithier, they're going to need it from Marcus Bingham. Malik Hall is going to go out there, have to go out there and make plays. And Joey Hauser is going to have to step up when he's needed too. So they're going to need a group, a squad of guys that have that mindset that this is a must win game. He's one of the best players in the country, but tonight and tonight only we're going to shut him down. And I think if they can do that, if they can do that for a half, Luca Garza is Luca Garza, and he's going to put up his numbers. If they can do that for a half, if he can have less than 10 points in one half, I think Michigan State's going to be in a great position. I think both of you guys both had fantastic points that, I, I, that I'd like to elaborate on. First, yours, Brendan. You talk about that chip on the shoulder that, that Xavier Tillman had against him last year. Luca Garza had a chip on his shoulder going into this game last week when Iowa won 84-78 in Iowa City. He had never beaten Michigan State before. He had said, you know, in, the, in my storied career, I have never beaten Michigan State before. He beat Michigan State in Iowa City, but there's a, a certain element of pride that comes with you don't want a team to come into your gym and run you out of there. So if you're Michigan State and you're Tom Izzo, you're telling your players, you're hyping your teammates up, you're saying, hey, he, they got us on their home court, but he can come in here and we can still say that in his playing history, which was a good one, probably the best player to ever play for Iowa, at least statistically, he never beat us on our home floor. So that's a chip that Michigan State should use in this game. And then your point, Trent, you the word choice you used is perfect. You can only hope to contain Luca Garza. At this point, you cannot stop him. In 35 minutes in the last matchup between these two teams, he was 9 of 18 from the field for 27 points. You just got to hope to contain him. And I think the way that Michigan State needs to try to contain him in this game is double him aggressively. Double him more aggressively than in the game in Iowa City. The Hawkeyes in that game only shot 5 of 17 from 3. If I'm Tom Izzo, if I'm Michigan State, I double Garza extremely aggressively. Anytime he gets the ball in his hands, presumably against Marcus Bingham Jr., if I'm Malik Hall, I charge over there to help him, number one. Just make, make force Iowa to make jump shots. I think Michigan State can sleep a little better at night, at night if Iowa ends up beating them on a bunch of jump shots and Luca Garza doesn't score 50 points. That's one thing. And then the other thing, too, is a lot of Garza's uh, baskets against uh, Michigan State in that first game were just bunnies. He ran down the floor aggressively in transition, got that deep post-up position early, pretty much in transition. They just delivered the ball in there and it was an easy two points. They need to run back aggressively and don't lose him in transition, or that's going to be like an easy 10 points for Iowa. But the blueprint is there. I think they just need to execute a little bit better than they did in Iowa city. All right, fellas, let's get into our predictions. Then this is going to be a marquee matchup. At least, you know, we hope we don't want it to be a blowout. We're going to be there. We want to see a good game. Um, I'll kick it off. My brand on this podcast, on every podcast I'm on here at Impact, is that I am a slappy, optimistic idiot. I think the Spartans are going to get it done. Here's, here's how I think they're going to do it. 
I think they're going to shoot well, just like they did in the first one. I think the Michigan State Spartans match up really well against Iowa. I don't think it's a coincidence. Obviously, Garza is Garza. You guys mentioned that. But he has taken a little bit of a dip here lately. And I think the Spartans having Marcus Bingham now as your surefire starter at center, he only played 11 minutes in that first matchup against Iowa, got into some, got into some foul trouble. And I think he's going to be a big difference maker here if he's able to play more than 11 minutes against Luka Garza. I think Joey Hauser and Rocket Watts come off the bench and combine for 20-plus. And I think the Spartans get a, a 60, excuse me, 76-73 to 73 victory at home behind a very hot three-point shooting night from the Spartans, particularly Lankford. I think Watts gets in the mix. I think Henry leads you to the finish line. And the Spartans just play finally two halves, put it together, and all of a sudden we're looking at this team has turned the corner. Luke, what do you think? Trent, I'm in lockstep with you. I told this when we were leaving the arena. I told you this when we were leaving the arena yesterday. I'm buying back in on this team's chances to make the NCAA tournament. And before I even go into my prediction, I'm incredibly excited for this Saturday. I mean, this is one of the more important games that Michigan State has played in recent memory in terms of their NCAA tournament hopes. And the guys are back. This is the first game that all three of us are going to cover together since I don't even know. When's the last time we were all in the gym together? Like, I think the Rutgers game, maybe. Brendan, were you there? I, I haven't called. The last game I called was almost two months ago against Oakland. Was it Notre Dame then? Was that the last game we were all at? No. We might. I thought we did one after Notre Dame. Oh, right. I, either way, it's been you months. Be right. It's been forever. But no, I'm a, no, because Notre Dame was over on our old platform, platform whatever it was, 104 or something like that. And I vividly remember at least one game with the three of us on the new platform. So okay, it had to so been too. after the Notre Dame game. All right. Either way, it's been months. Yeah. So we're, we're I'm juiced. Either way, I'm juiced. This team, I, I'm buying back in on this team's chances, though. A win is a win against Nebraska. Ugly win. Win is a win. They finally finished a game against Penn State, and they are going to get an 80-77 to 77 upset win over Iowa. That's really going to get this fan base jumping about NCAA tournament hopes once again. I think this is going to be a Tom Izzo special. I think people on SportsCenter, people in the media are going to be talking about what a great job the Spartans did against Luka Garza defensively. I think Tom Izzo cooks up a hell of a game plan, and I think they shocked the world with a big win. I might look really, really foolish. Trent, you and I might look really, really foolish after this game, but you got to buy back into their chances. I mean, I hate to like beat a dead horse on this one, but until Izzo proves or, until Izzo disproves that he can't coach in March, I mean, I'm going to have to roll with them. Listen, you're talking to the guy over here who publicly picked the 2020 Detroit Lions to go 12-4, and four, so I have no shame. I have absolutely no shame. 76-73, Spartans get it done. Sloan's got 80-77. to 77. Brendan, what do you got? You guys just love making my life hard. Don't you? <laughs> hey, we're – Trent and I set this up perfectly. You can be the bad guy. You can be the screw. Yeah. Honestly – as a as a journalist, so we can go to Indianapolis. As a fan who goes to this university, I hope to God you guys are right. I would love to see this team go out there and just put a whooping on Iowa and punch them in the mouth and you know 
move on and, and really extend their March hopes. And that would be a huge win for them, not just because of what the win itself means as a big upset like that and to improve their record to 11 and seven, but that's a momentum shifting. That's a season changing win if you can pull that off. But as the realist that I am, I pride myself on being realistic and not biased and not fanboy. And that's I'm not glad someone does. Cause I sure as hell don't. <laughs> I, and, and, and I think, I think the bigger thing that I'm not mentioning conveniently is that I love to be right. And I'm going to lean towards what's more likely to be right. And um, I think there's too many things that we would, that Michigan state has to rely on that aren't consistent, that would lead them to a victory. They need to have Trent, you mentioned it, two full halves of great defense. They haven't really done that this season. They need to have two full halves of good shooting. That hasn't happened this season yet. You know, they need to somehow shut down Luca Garza for at least a half. Nobody's done that yet. And it's just I might have something for you on that front. This this Iowa team is too is too good because Sloan, you mentioned the game plan and the blueprint is there to double Garza aggressively as much as you can. But Iowa is one of the best three-point shooting teams. They have the number one offensive efficiency rating in the country. And Michigan State's not – and Iowa's defense is terrible. It's, it's really bad. But Michigan State's offense isn't a, a huge threat to a team like Iowa. They're just going to try to outscore you. So for that reason, I am taking – the most realistic numbers I can find, 85 to 75, Iowa wins it. Michigan State moves to 10 and 8 on the season towards a downward trend that doesn't exactly lead to an appearance on Selection Sunday. All right, Brendan. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have one last chance here to convince you. Hot off the presses, just him, into, the, just him, into the newsroom. Final from, I think, Piscataway. No, it was Iowa City. It's Iowa City, yeah. Iowa was- City. It was Rutgers, on in the background. I wasn't watching. 70, Iowa 79, Rutgers 76. Luca Garza only had only only had 22 <laughs> on 8 of 20 shooting. That's not the best Luca Garza game in the world. So I mean, man, I don't know. I, I just gotta I just want to get you on Trent and I's bandwagon, man. Listen, I just think I, I really do think Marcus Bingham's a big, 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 big factor. He's got to stay out of foul trouble. He's got to play his typical 20 minutes instead of 11. And I just think that's going to be the difference. Here's the thing. Not only is the Garza whistle going to be alive and well, but Garza himself is a big, 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 big man. And Bingham forever, since he got to East Lansing, has had a slighter frame than he should for his height. And I've seen it time and time again. And Sloan, you just mentioned it. Their Iowa's game plan is such BS because they get the ball in transition. Garza, for how big he is, is somehow pretty nimble still. Runs straight down the floor, rim to rim, body, post up, layup. And it's like, or what the hell does this team only have five losses or whatever it is? How are they this good? It's because they knock down their shots, they knock down their free throws, and they have an unbelievably consistent just beast down low. And I think it's going to be really hard for Michigan State to stop. It's not out of the realm of possibility. I only have them losing by 10. I think more people than not that are more pessimistic than I am would make it closer to a 15 or 20 point loss. But you mentioned it, Luke. The blueprint is there. I don't know if it's a blueprint that Michigan State has the horses to follow. If there's one more kind of X's and O's tidbit 
other than like me just willing, wanting to will this team in the tournament so we can continue to cover them. Iowa had success defensively against Michigan state in the second half of that game when they played a little bit more zone. So all of a sudden someone like Malik Hall, someone like Joey Hauser, who's going to play in the middle of that zone, get the basketball. Iowa's going to collapse in. He's going to have to break things down, pass out of that, get an open shot. A player like Malik Hall or whoever's at the four at a particular time for Michigan state, who's the key guy in the middle of that Iowa defensive zone is going to be a key player for Michigan state. That could be Hauser. That could be Hall. Maybe you put Bingham and his wingspan in there. I don't know if Izzo trusts him to make those passes, but it, it's, it's going to be a big time X's and O's game. You know, just watching that, the head, you know, the, 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 the chess match between McCaffrey and Izzo in game one in Iowa city. I mean, I think regardless, this is shaping up to be a good game. I think, I think you bring up a good point about McCaffrey and Izzo. I think it, uh, Iowa has the large advantage with the just the talent and what they're going to put on the floor. But coaching has always won championships. And I think as far as on the sideline goes, Michigan State has the edge. I think Fran McCaffrey hasn't proven himself. I think he's got a great team this year, and he's done a lot to make them really good. But, you know, a friend of the podcast, former impactor Joey Ellis, is one of the biggest – March McCaffrey haters, as, as I'll put it. And uh, I think he has a fair point. I think McCaffrey, Fran McCaffrey really hasn't proven himself to coach games like that. And if Michigan state can put Iowa in a situation where he's got to make big, tough coaching decisions, I give Izzo the advantage uh, in the lead in that chess match. hundred percent. I agree. With everyone else. I think, I think you and everyone else would. So here we go. I've got a three point victory for the Spartans. Luke has a three point victory for the Spartans. Brendan has a 10 point victory for the Hawkeyes. There you have it. We'll be in coverage. I will mention that one more time and plug us at the end of the podcast. But before we get there, we have to round out the show with our favorite second favorite segment, America's favorite segment. The four point play with Brendan Shabbat. Brendan, take it away. Guys, I am extremely excited for this four-point play and there's a lot of reasons for that but the first reason I'll mention is from this very moment in time for those of you listening we are recording this on Wednesday February 10th it is eight minutes pre 10 p.m at this very moment we are 38 days away from having March madness on our televisions and in front of us hopefully in front of us in person if we get to go from Michigan State but Thursday March 18th 38 days away. It's a day that I've been waiting for for two years now because I didn't get a tournament last year to watch. And that's very upsetting. But the other reason that I'm really excited about this four point play is because I just mentioned that one of the reasons I picked Iowa to win is because I love to be right. And part of that is because I love to brag about being right. And that's one of the things I do best. And right now I'm going to take that chance to brag last week, Trent, you weren't here, but Eric was along with Luke Sloan. And I told you guys, I mentioned on the four-point play, it was a little tidbit at the end, but I said, look out, number six, Texas is going to Oklahoma State. And I, I called it, I said, look out, upset alert, Oklahoma State over Texas, I'm picking it. And I was right, it was a great game, double overtime thriller, Caleb Boone for Oklahoma State had 22 and 15, Cade Cunningham, you know, hopefully future Piston, he had 19 and eight, and Oklahoma State pulled out the win, 75-67, they that got them enough to move into the AP poll for the first time this season. Now Oklahoma state has a postseason ban this year. So that's not a team to look out for in March, but I got one right guys. 
that down the stretch was some of the worst basketball I've ever seen in my life, by the way. I just want to throw that in. Like, oh, yeah. It was, it was hard to watch. Yeah. Also, Shaka looks great with hair. Yep. I don't care what anyone says. He's a good, he's a good bald head, but he also looks good with hair. Either way. Yeah, and, and you know, Texas is reeling right now, but they're still one of my favorite teams for the Final Four. To okay. quote John Rothstein, we sleep in May. Friend of the podcast, John Rothstein, by the way. I'm hoping, you know, we were talking before the podcast, you know, Brendan, Trent, and I, we're, things are heating up in college hoops. Like, this is a great time of year. And speaking of that, you know, that Oklahoma State's currently appealing their postseason ban to the NCAA. And the NCAA is kind of, you know, to quote uh, a line from the movie Casino, you know, hey, you can run a casino. They'll just take your gaming license and put it at the bottom of the pile. Right now, the NCAA is taking that postseason ban and putting it at the bottom of the pile. Oklahoma State, the Pokes, they might be marching. That would be that'd be very fun for me as a fan, a basketball fan, and to get to see Kate Cunningham play in March would be fun. But also, not a terrible idea for the NCAA. I know that you know they're not really one of these uh, corporations to do this ever. But uh, I think there's a little bit more money involved if Kate Cunningham is on the floor in March. So we'll especially when you don't go have- about that. These blue bloods aren't exactly blue bloods this year. So, yeah, exactly. That's I mean, they're, something they're, to keep your eye on. They need, yeah. they need all the big tickets they can get. Exactly. And Cade Cunningham is a big one that I think a lot of people are, are going to want to watch, myself included. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, taking a look at last week, some games that happened uh, that were really fun, really big for uh, college basketball in March implications. Last night, as I mentioned, this is being recorded on a Wednesday. Last night, February 9th. Number 11, Alabama travels to South Carolina. They only win by four, 81-78. And, guys, we talked about this pre-podcast. Alabama's a really good team, and they play really great defense. I think they have the number two or number three uh, adjusted defensive efficiency rate in the country right now. But I'm not sure if I'm sold on Alabama yet. They started the season off or the SEC season. SEC played 10-0. and with their biggest win being over uh, Tennessee, who's currently ranked number seven. Since then, they've played two ranked teams, and both of those ranked teams they lost to. Um, that's Mizzou, and that's Oklahoma. So, you know, and they, they don't have a ranked team left on their schedule yet. They've got Auburn, who's going to be a good game. I think they play South Carolina again. But I'm not sure how much Alabama basketball you guys have seen. I've seen a little bit. But I don't know if I'm quite sold on the Tide yet for as a basketball school. Well, you uh, talk about blowing big leads. How about that Missouri yeah. game? Almost let it completely slip out. Yeah. I'm going to continue a trend of uh, me and Trent opposing you. I don't know if Trent's bought in on the Crimson, Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide. I don't know what that is. Nate Oates, head coach of Alabama. I mentioned this on the last podcast. Former head coach of Romulus High School, about 20 minutes down the road, east on I-94 toward Detroit from my house. He's got the local connection, so I'm rooting for him. Plus, they, they got the good vibes from that national championship in football. The, the good juices are flowing. You know, I know they've been snake, you know, skating by in some of these close games, but the metrics love them. Ken Palm loves them. I'm going yay. Yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Ken Palm, Ken Palm guy myself. And uh, if Ken Palm loves them, I probably should too. And I think, you know, you, if you just look at their record, it's easy for me to say that, that they've played three ranked teams and lost two of those games. But if you watch them on the floor, they look like a really solid team and a team that I think is wouldn't be surprised if they're in the Elite Eight and in a close game looking for the Final Four. 
We're trying to win the SEC for the first time since 02. Is that correct? Something like that. I mean, so it's definitely been a while for them. For that reason alone, I will buy in. I don't care. I love the teams that are looking to end the drought. This is the this is the optimism coalition. This is the this is the op this is the optimism caucus. All right. Also, last week on Thursday. February 4th, Ohio State with a big win in Iowa City. They win by four, 89-85 over the Hawkeyes. Guys, Ohio State's really making a name for themselves right now. They're up to four in the current AP poll. They've uh, made the number one seed on a lot of prediction brackets, including Lenardi's. Uh, they're at plus 1,400 odds to win the NCAA tournament. That's 14-1. to 1. So those of you listening that are over 21 and in the state of Michigan, not a terrible bet to look at for the Buckeyes to uh, – to win the NCAA tournament, but guys, that's a huge win. That's a, that's a win that, you know, Ohio state who doesn't have a great front court, probably a lot of people didn't see happening uh, pulling that one out, but a really big uh, AP top 25 matchup. That was seven versus eight at that time. I was able to catch some of that game. It was a lot of fun to watch some good basketball, high scoring. The Buckeyes look like they're going to, they're going to have a really fun date with the Wolverines. If that game can get scheduled and get played. And, you know, that's the biggest rivalry in college football, but it might be a great basketball game this year, too. I think similar to the 2014 Kentucky Wildcats. Now, I don't think there's as many first-round picks on this Ohio State team. I don't think there's any first-round picks on this team. But with that Kentucky team in 2014 that went to the final game and lost, they had two almost lines that they could play, two starting lineups that were of good, cal good enough caliber to make the NCAA tournament. You can make an argument that Ohio State has enough players, 10 solid guys, that they could make two good NCAA tournament-worthy starting lineups, or at least bubble watch. I love their depth. They have one dominant big in EJ Liddell, CJ Walker, veteran point guard. You need that veteran point guard in March. And like I said, you know, we, we don't, we're, you know, we're not plugging any, you know, gambling websites or anything like, you know, FanDuel, Barstool, whatever. But plus 1,400, it's not, that's not bad value. Yeah, and you're a big uh, Chris Holtman guy, so I know you like that one, Sloan. But yeah, the Buckeyes. I think I think you brought up a good point that they're uh, they have the blueprint for a team to make a run in March, and I wouldn't be surprised if they go out there and do that. So I've got my eye on them moving forward. Speaking of moving forward, coming up, some really good games this weekend. So guys, this is my chance to redeem myself. Uh, I love the underground college basketball scene. There's so many games out there, and the Sun Belt and the Horizon League and the MVC and the WCC, Gonzaga not included, that a lot of people don't know about. But you can find some great basketball if you just flip through the channels and find a game. And we've got a really good one coming up this Saturday on the 13th at noon. Loyola Chicago, 17-3, and ranked 22 in the country. They're taking on Drake, who's 18-1, and a fan favorite this year, 9-1 and in the MVC. That's a big MVC implicating game. And the reason I'm redeeming myself is because I've already mentioned this game for a four point play, this exact game, but I mentioned it about a month ago. And I, what I didn't realize at the time was that game was scheduled to be played at the exact same time as the college football national championship between Alabama and Ohio state. So I looked like a fool, not knowing that everybody else is going to be watching the national championship instead of Loyola Chicago and Drake and college basketball. But that last game got postponed due to COVID. This is the makeup. So on Saturday, you wake up as you're cooking breakfast, you know, you get some eggs, get some bacon, some French toast, throw on the MVC. 
you got ESPN plus, if you don't find someone who has it, hit me up. I have ESPN plus. I might share my username <laughs> and password. Go on the MVC. You'll watch a great game. I really love this one. And I'm doing a new thing now for four point play. This is going to continue moving forward. This is an opportunity for me to have more bragging rights as we continue. I'm making predictions. And in this one, I love Drake this season. They're really fun to watch. Uh, Shanquan Hemphill right now, he's, he's playing great for them. He's averaging 14 points, six rebounds. But I'm taking the Ramblers, Loyola Chicago. I've got them probably about I – got, I got them in a close one. I'm going to say a four-point win for Loyola Chicago. Go Ramblers. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, there is a member of this podcast who has an addiction. Brendan is addicted to – group of five hoops like these obscure games on cbs sports network on like thursday nights man you you, you need a we, we need a whole separate podcast just for like group of five hoops hey i'm that's a good addiction to have it means you're gonna have the winning bracket this march i i hope so that's kind of the basis behind it but also when i'm bored on a, on a wednesday night and espn's got al davis versus the nfl on i'm looking for a good college basketball game instead but speaking of group of five uh college basketball shout out to mississippi valley state and friend of the podcast caleb hunter my high school classmate mississippi valley state oh and 17 i believe coming into this week but they get a win a close win uh they win by two i forget who it was over it was it was a close game in their conference though they win by two and who grabbed the, the game-winning rebound for Mississippi Valley State? None other, none other than Caleb Hunter. So shout-out to Mississippi Valley State and uh, former Piston Lindsey Hunter, their head coach, getting their first win of the season. Lindsey Hunter is their head coach? No way. Caleb Hunter is his father, yes. Hey, shout-out to fantastic. Lindsay Hunter, one of, the, one of the last Pistons to wear the number 10 before it was retired for the great Dennis Rodman. The yes. absolute legend, Dennis Rodman. Yes. Hey. Trent Valley, his basketball game is modeled after Dennis Rodman. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to have to battle on the boards with Trent Valley. No, hey, you don't. I, I've done it. It's not fun. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Brendan. Brendan's a classic example of like he's he's pretty tall. For those of you who don't know, so like his teammates will be like, "Hey, you just like take him, like take him out of the equation." That's my favorite too. I love that because that, that makes me feel like I get a little credit. But it's the all thing, it's always fun. Stopper. You're the the thing about Trent that, that is modeled perfectly after uh, the legend Rodman is his positioning. Trent will be will be absolutely lifeless on offense. It'll feel like oh. five on four. You'll forget he's out there. And then some idiot shoots a deep three. And who's right there waiting for a two-foot layup? None other than Trent Valley. And it's like, how did he get there? Who's checking this guy? Why did nobody box out? And, you know, it was really annoying. But I look no forward plays, to no plays are ever drawn up for your boy over here. I also don't ever call for the ball, but that's that's neither here nor there. Whatever, I, I'm in it. I'm in it for the. I'm in it for the money. It's a good time. I got to talk to that coach. I got to talk to that coach. <laughs> Trent Valley needs to become a featured member of that offense. It'll be a good time when we get back on the on the court soon, fellas. Yeah, we'll I look forward to it. Spring. Well, guys, this is four point play, and we've got three so far. So our last one also on throw. that same Saturday. Got to hit the free throw, Brendan. Exactly. You got you to get the end one. That's, that's the only way it's worth four. Uh, on Saturday at 5 p.m., I really haven't talked a lot about the Big East, and that's because I haven't watched a lot of Big East basketball this year. Usually that's one of my more favorite conferences to watch, but a little lifeless this year. Villanova's had a lot of COVID pauses and stuff. 
They haven't really been out on the floor consistently, but we've got a top 25 Big East matchup, Villanova. They're number five in the country right now, 12 and two, seven and one in the Big East. They're taking on number 19, Creighton, who's 15 and five, 11 and four in the conference. That's on Saturday, as I mentioned, at 5 p.m. I think that's going to be a really good game, um, a game that I'm going to try to watch. Colin Gillespie, one of my favorite players in the country. I was really high on Villanova uh, preseason and the early quarter of the season. I watched them against, I believe it was Arizona State uh, in that, um, not Maui Invitational, but they had some sort of showcase tournament type thing with like Rhode Island and Arizona State and Villanova and somebody else. And they looked really good against Arizona State. They were one of my favorites to win the NCAA tournament. That was before Gonzaga and Baylor started lighting everybody up. But right now I still think Villanova is a really good team. Jay Wright, uh, January, February, March, Jay is pretty much how it goes. Um, he's, he's a great coach in March and April, and he's always going to have his team ready. And I think Villanova is, is a modern blue blood to me. You know, they, they've really uh, stepped up in the past six, seven, eight years as a team that's always there in contention uh, as far as March goes. So I'm predicting them to win this one. I got Villanova over Creighton. That's at Creighton. So, you know, maybe the Blue Jays could come out and show a little life and get a little upset win. But Nova's a really good team and a fun team to watch. So I look out for that game. And nobody's talking about uh, Jay Wright and the Villanova Wildcats this year, but that fella is a winner. He just goes out and wins and no one talks about it. And they're number five in the country. They're going to be headed for, you know, probably a two seed at minimum a three seed. So, you know, no one's talking about them right now because of their COVID pauses, but this could be a win that kind of springboards them back into the national conversation. There it is. So we, we made the free throw. Our percentage goes up. That's four point play for this edition. Loved it. That was my favorite one so far, for what it's worth. Very good job, Brendan. Always, always great. Uh, we love that segment. Fellas, do we have any final thoughts before we put a bow on this one? Uh, Saturday's going to be electric. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to get my best tie out. You know, I'm going to shine the shoes. I'm going to make sure I'm dressed to the nine. I think that's what they say, dressed to the nines. Yeah. But it's a big game. Big game for this Michigan State team. Big game for the crew because we're finally back. I mean, we've been waiting for big games down the stretch and us all to get healthy and not be sick for weeks. So I'm just super pumped. Here's what I think I'm going to do about Saturday. I think I'm in my bedroom right now. This is on Zoom, so you guys can't see it for those of you listening. But I'm in my bedroom, and I don't think I'm going to leave this spot until Saturday just to be sure that I don't get a sickness. None of you guys <laughs> get a sickness. Nothing happens, so we can all be there on Saturday finally. But no, yeah, I, I'm definitely really excited to get back there. And, you know, I like being right and I like bragging about it. But if I'm right about this one, I, I will say this will be mm. one time that I'll probably feel bad saying I told you so to you guys. But we'll see. Ooh. Yeah, that... hey, I, I'm sure there will be no shortage of I told you so if that is how things pan out. But it's all good. That, that's, nope. that's why they play the game. That's why we tip the ball. No matter the result of this one, the next podcast is going to be explosive. I mean, Trent and I are either going to be really right or, you're, or we're going to be really, really wrong. Or you're going to be really, really right. Or you're going to be really, really wrong. So somebody's going to be shot out of a cannon. We'll just yeah, see who it is. Well, yes. The next podcast, Luke, you reminded me. I've got to talk to you guys. We might have a couple special guests coming on. Hint, Let's hint, go. Hint, hint. I've got I, that's, – that's as much as I can say. But that, that'll do it for us. Thanks for listening to the Impact Is Zone once again. As always, follow at WDBM Sports on Twitter for team coverage. And tell a friend – about the impact is on podcast tune in saturday as luke sloan and brennan shabbat right here your boys are on the call as the spartans take on the hawkeyes 
at home, number 15 in the country. The Hawkeyes is going to be a great matchup. Stay safe, everybody. We will see you next time.